You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders, for coders, about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Interviewers like devs with skills. We're continuing our series on getting a job with the first of our interviewing episodes, the soft skills. We'll start by defining soft skills and then talk about the soft skills you'll need for the interview and in your work life. Finally, we'll close out with some tips and tricks to improve your interviewing soft skills. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, this week and last, um, while you were gone, I have been trying to get a project out the door. We have very good QA. Um, we kicked it over the wall to our, our new guy that's um, you know, a developer, but he's also doing a lot of the QA stuff. And being a computer science major means that he can find weird edge cases to break your stuff. Um, and I was handed a list of 63 bugs. And so I've been mowing through those. And some of them are... Quite clever. <laughs> like I found a thing today where it was pulling back, you know, hundreds of thousands of records into memory, then searching them in the web server, you know, filtering it and then paging it. And so it's like returning like 10 records, but it pulled back like a half mil and, you know, just stuff like that. And you're like, what? Why is this so slow? You're not even like, it wasn't even one, one of the things on the bug list. And then mm-hmm. I just go find it and you start pulling that string. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing, and that's pretty much the only thing I've been doing. You know, since we're down a man, there's been a little bit more of a workload. Um, there's just a lot of stuff going on, and and so yeah, I'm sp- I'm spending a lot of time at work more than. Um, so how about you? Well, I spent about half the day working on one bug, only to get in touch with one of the other developers, the one that wrote the service I was talking to, and you know, she she was able to look into it and. She's like, I see what's happening, but I don't understand why. And so she got into my code and looked at that and found what should have been glaringly obvious to me, where I had, when I'd originally written it, I had set it up to basically where I have to send a form uh, to store a file in the, the service. And I had built this form generator to create the form and stuff. And then I realized, oh, the information that I'm going to need for that, I'm going to need in like five other places. So I, you know, created a static class that I could use everywhere. Except for the place you forgot. Yeah, except for the first place I used it. And so when I went in to update for UAT, I had forgotten that I hadn't connected that to the static class and was had it coded in there. So it was like repeat of the code in the static class. It was slightly off because it yeah. had changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, you might wonder why I was able to guess that. Because <laughs> I do that every time. Yeah, well, when after she she pointed it out to me, uh, and I realized that was the problem, I was like, I feel so stupid. And she, she responded with, everybody does that. It's like, that's really common. So, also, OMG, I know now why developers don't take vacations. Yeah. I am the primary API developer on two public-facing projects and one employee interface that is going to be the same for both of those, all of which are either going to UAT or production within the next few weeks. I got back from vacation to a list of 15 things that needed to get done the day I returned. Yep. The the UI developers had just said, oh, well, we'll do this when BJ gets back. We'll do this when BJ gets back. And it just piled up to where they had stuff that had to get done that day. But on a happier note, I did get to spend some time with my family last week. Uh, We didn't record on Monday because I was out on the beach. Well, I was actually bowling because it rained. So there wasn't a Facebook Live post. We did post one today. Guys, be on the lookout for those around 6, 6.30 every Monday night when we record, we post those. My nephew is kind of at the Y stage, which is really awesome for a know-it-all science geek like me. Because I was able to answer his questions until he couldn't ask anymore because he was either too confused or bored. Yeah. (laughs) That's always a good place to be. (laughs) But um, since I was at Disney 
while I was down there, I have something Disney related for IOTs. So let's go ahead and roll the music. This week for IOTs, I have something for the kids or the entire family, really. It's the Disney Magic Wristbands. This is a product that uh, if you're not a season ticket holder or haven't been to Disney recently, you might not know about their delve into the world of IoT. When you purchase your tickets for the theme park, uh, for a little bit extra, you can get these Magic Wristbands that are used for a multitude of purposes. If you're staying at a Disney resort, they act as your room key. Uh, they also act as your ticket into the park and as the fast pass program. So you scan those when you get in the fast pass line. Some of the rides take pictures and you can swipe the wristband to collect the pictures to later be viewed on your account. Um, you can even put money on them and uh, use them as like a debit card at uh, the food and vendors in the park. It's just sort of a fun way to see the Internet of Things being used on a large scale. So who's talking to us this week? Well, this week we got a comment from Dama Brown. I'm not a coder or techie. I'm a lawyer. But I found your podcast while looking for something to help me become a better listener. Nice job. I really enjoyed the episode. Thanks. Well, thanks, Dama. We appreciate the comment. We always enjoy hearing from those not in the tech field that do listen to the show. Uh, we do appreciate that. Send us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com because we've got a water bottle just for you. And guys, if you'd like your very own water bottle, leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Google+. We're also on Tumblr and Path. And now we are choosing our comments from the website right now because we're trying to encourage people to leave comments there and get discussion going. Do you guys want to meet us and hear Will speak on why your DBA hates your ORM? Come down to Huntsville, Alabama for DevSpace Conference, North Alabama's premier polyglot technology conference. In addition to Will, you'll be able to hear talks on .NET, JavaScript, C++, and lots more. DevSpace is October 13th and 14th this year. Tickets are on sale now. And to get a 10% discount, use the code COMPLETEDEV. Or follow the link in the show notes. Again, that's DevSpace in Huntsville, Alabama on October 13th and 14th. So what are soft skills? <laughs> the dictionary definition, i.e. Googling it, uh, of soft skills is personal attributes that enable someone to interact effectively and harmoniously with other people. As opposed to hard skills, which are more job-specific and technical in nature, Soft skills are a way of expressing emotional intelligence, which is an area of cognitive ability that focuses on building and maintaining relationships with other people. So for something to be considered a soft skill, the rules for mastery should not be clear cut. Unlike hard skills like math, your effectiveness may be influenced by your emotional state and that of those that you're interacting with. So it's, it's a little bit, uh, there's, there's more variables in it, I guess, than yes. a technical hard skill is probably the best way to put it. And these skills are not particularly job specific and they can be useful no matter what your career. You know, if you're doing psychology, medicine, uh, if you're a lawyer, no. it's, it, you know, it's quite helpful to have good soft skills, even if you're not trying to do tech. These skills kind of come naturally for some people and other people have to learn them the hard way. I know you were a little bit more gregarious and outgoing um, when you and I first started hanging out, whereas I was not. I had to, I had to pick this stuff up. Yeah, but you had a much better ma time management. Yeah. ability than I did. We both had a pretty good work ethic, but you may find that you are stronger in some of these skills than others, but you should work on all of them to be better at, at each one. Now, there's a long list of soft skills that employers want. Uh, when I was looking this up, I found several pages that just listed them. Yeah. And there's, there's hundreds of them really. And a lot of them are kind of the same thing. And at least some of the items are on the list here. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't want to listen to us talk for four hours. So <laughs> or maybe you do. Yeah. But you want us to at least change topic. Yeah. <laughs> but we we've narrowed them down to five basic skills that you need to be able to demonstrate in an interview to set yourself apart from the crowd. 
And those are communication, work ethic, time management, attitude, and confidence. And we'll also briefly discuss a few combinations of these skills or complex skills that help you out in the workplace. And we'll finish up talking about some general tips to improving your soft skills. Now, throughout this episode, we will discuss our experiences where people have used them effectively. And especially the experiences where they haven't, because that's way more fun. (laughs) One thing I really want to point out before we get started is it's easy to think you are faking these, but you'd be surprised how well interviewers and managers can see through it. Yeah. Well, you'll also be surprised, too. Um, A lot of times you fake it for a little while, then it becomes genuine. That's very true. What you want to do is you want to fake it in practice right. and be genuine in the interview. Yeah. Or just be genuine in both places if you can get away with it. Well, if you can't <laughs> yeah. be genuine, but if you yeah. if you can't be genuine with it, make the fake time practice. Yeah. So the first one is communication. This skill will be the most obvious to the interviewers. Yeah. Because like I interviewed a guy and dude was so nervous in the interview. He's like flipping a pencil around with his fingers and it like spins, it goes flying across the room. It's like right by somebody, you know, like you don't want to be that person that makes it really obvious that you are wound up. And he, and he was, he was like crunched in when he was talking and like fiddling with his fingers. <laughs> like I'm, I'm doing that right now in front of the microphone yeah. right? and I feel you guys awkward. You can't see it, but it's, it's funny. And it just like, it makes me feel awkward just miming that. Believe me, it showed big time and it, it cast a pall over the way that we viewed anything else that he was saying. He ended up not getting hired. Um, mm-hmm. He may have been. He may have been as good as he was saying, but it was hard to believe that because he was so jittery. Oh, yeah. You can definitely tell if someone is nervous or uncomfortable communicating with others. Interviewers will also be able to tell if you are comfortable talking to people in general. Yeah. Because you know, they, they'll see your interaction with the front desk person or you know, with other people on their way to you or leaving the interview. I have seen people who got nervous in the interview because it was for a job they really wanted and they kind of clammed up and got nervous. But I saw them out in the lobby talking to the front desk person and being very friendly and having a good conversation because they weren't in that nerve causing situation. We, we used to call it in medicine, um, white coat syndrome yeah. where your blood pressure goes up because you're at the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to red coat syndrome which is what we here in america solved <laughs> on july 4th <laughs> oh yeah by the way it is july 3rd when we were recording yeah, so this, we're actually so. trying to get under the wire before it gets dark and the fireworks start going off yeah, and the dogs start true. barking <laughs> um your communication skills will also show if you're able to understand and follow instruction yes so that's something that employers are going to be looking for can you take instruction, comprehend it, and then produce what they are looking for. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that stuff is, it's strange how many people that understand things like wire protocols and how TCPIP handshakes work that can understand the exact same thing in, in just like spoken communication. So you tell them to do something and there's no act. It's just like, yeah. did the packet get there? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're just sitting there. Should I say it again? You know, it's like you, they want TCP in the connection, not UDP. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, when you're interviewing, you want to, well, one trick for interviewing would be to have prepared responses and stories that express your skills, communication skills and others. Yeah, you can Google interview questions. And each of these skills, I'm going to, when we get to the end of it, we're going to talk about some typical interview questions you may see, but you can Google those and look at, okay, how would I respond to this? Let me get a few stories planned out before I go in to the interview on what I would tell. Uh, now me. Or just at least have them in mind. Yeah. I like telling stories, so I don't do that. Yeah, neither then, do I. <laughs> then I realized something after probably about my third interview when I was looking for the job I have now is I was telling the same stories. Yeah. So you had them prepared. It's just, you didn't do it consciously. The other thing too, is you have to be able to, if you are coming up, if you are trying to kind of have a prepared story, you need to have, you need to have some caution about what the story is and maybe even have a few variants of it. (laughs) Because like, if you go into an office and it's a bunch of, you know, 
people in suits that don't look like they have any sense of humor. Like, you know, you're, you're interviewing with the secret service or something, <laughs> you know, like that's one thing. Whereas if you go into a place that, you know, it's got me and beach at the table interviewing you, like that's two totally different stories that you can tell, even if it's yeah. the same event. That's, that's very true. And you need to adjust not only your stories, but you adjust your tone and style, the way you talk, the way you communicate based on the audience. Right. Because if I go in front of a bunch of lawyers and those types, I'm not going to use words like reckon. Yeah. (laughs) That's not going to come out of my mouth. You you know, and that that shows your ability to communicate is you can, you can phase shift and tone shift and, you know, say things differently. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like when I interviewed for the job I have now, I had been to, I think three interviews that week already. And at one of them, I went in and the, the interviewers, one of them had a button down shirt and a tie on. The other two had polos tucked in khakis, you know, and I took a more formal tone with them. Then I went into the interview that I had and I do believe that my manager had a polo on, but it was like a polo and jeans and it was untucked. And he gets me in and sits me down and starts talking about podcasting. Yep. And immediately, I knew the tone was going to be a lighter, more fun, relaxed tone. Right. And you just have to pace yourself with it. you know, Because mm-hmm. if you're too formal when you're not supposed to be formal, that comes across wrong, too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Make an effort to add intonation and expression. Yeah. Like, move your hands some. I mean, you don't have to go full on you know, Italian. Right. Like, I mean, I have, I've got a number of Italian friends and, you know, like it, it's become clear that it's a sign language that's supplemented with speech. Um, <laughs> but, you know, See, move, move would, your hands a little bit. I, I would have said evangelical preacher, but that's just because my dad was a preacher and he talked with his hands. And I do, um, especially when I'm emphasizing something. I've and gotten, I've started doing that more too, yeah. because it's I mirror you, and I'm sitting across from you. But you know, do that. You smile when you shake the uh, interviewer's hand. Don't be boring or dry in your conversation. Like you do not want to sound like Ben Stein advertising eye drops, <laughs> unless you're unless you're doing that to be facetious or funny. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then it's okay. You know, like, every time I try to do that, I break. I break down though. Like, like I can't. If if you. If you are trying to impress on them how boring something is, oh, then you yeah. can do that. Like I had one class in college, and I've, to- I've told this story actually in interviews where the professor was very, his tone just didn't change. He could tell you about how a rabid wolverine was in his underwear and it was biting him in the backside and his tone would never change. <laughs> you know, and you know the teacher I'm talking about. I it's 100% true. Do, and I just got this mental image of Hugh Jackman biting him in the backside. <laughs> But I mean, it's like the guy could, you know, could do that. And, and you don't want to do that in an interview. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you're trying to be funny and then maybe you can get away with it. Maybe not. You know, like play it. Ba- play that, it by that goes back to understanding your audience. Right. Because if they all talk like that, maybe making fun of it's not a good plan. Yeah, that, that's true. And or maybe it is. And you just want to tell your friends about the interview and you're not getting the job. <laughs> I, I told Will at the beginning of this episode before we started recording that we could make an episode about each one of these. Oh skills. yeah. Easily. But this one, especially because there's so much to talk about here and understanding your audience could be its own episode. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to that. And the best way to get good at that is practice, practice going in front of people in front of different people what was it uh, John Sonmez said when he was on the show uh, the first time he was on about going to the mall and just going and talking to people just to get over that awkwardness? Yeah. You get a part-time job where you're in front of people or something. That way you're getting paid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but then you have to interview for the part-time job and now you have recursion. Uh, so, so maybe maybe not. So something that came up today actually it at work for me is you want to build up the ability to explain complex concepts to non-technical coworkers, managers, clients, you know, employers need to know that if you find yourself in front of someone that doesn't understand the technical side of things, you will be able to communicate with them. Right. And that you're not going to talk down to them and that sort of stuff. I mean, it's not, it's not full on sales pitch, 
type stuff, but like you don't want to sabotage the next guy's sales pitch. No, we have a new BA that is in a scrum master role now. She she's worked for the department for a while, but she just came over to our division and she actually asked me earlier today to call her just to help explain some stuff. She's like, hey, I when you've got the time, I know you're really busy because she's actually the scrum master on the projects I'm on. And she's like, hey, when you have some time, I, I just need some explanation on a couple of things. Because she knew that I had that skill. You know, part of it is natural. Part of it is being around you because you've, I don't know if it's natural or you've cultivated it. I think it's a little bit of both. Like my facial hair. Yeah. Well, the thing is, <laughs> people know us, and especially you, for being able to put things in terms they understand. Right. You know? And I've got I've started to build a reputation for that at work, too. Yeah. I don't know that I cultivated that so much as that was the only way to get through my day. Yeah. So... You, ca- you did cultivate it, but you cultivated it as a... Not as a communication skill, but as a survival mechanism. Right. And... Not everybody does that. We, we've got some people that are really good at it, and we've got some people that are really not good at it. I know. My favorite is the, uh, the tech folks that talk down to people. I can't believe you don't know how to edit the registry. Or you remember the guy from like Saturday Night Live that was, you know, you tell him what the problem was, and he would go, ah, move. Yeah, you know, I was thinking exactly of that when yeah. I was writing this, and I, I came up with some stuff. Imagine you go to the doctor. And he talks to you that way because you don't know where your radial radial artery is. Well, it goes parallel to the ulnar nerve, doesn't it? Yeah. Give or take. <laughs> Roughly, yes. In your arm. Yeah. Somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's easy to forget that we work in a highly specialized field because we spend a lot of time talking with other highly specialized people within our field um, or not talking to anyone at all. Even those in roles that are not developer or not highly specialized or are not highly technical don't know all the details. Right. And other developers may not know all the details either. Mm-hmm. I tried to explain WebSockets to people that had never seen that before. Yeah. And, you know, you have to put that in terms of, okay, do you remember when you used to do like actual sockets and start from that? And, you know, you may have to do this within tech too. But, I mean, employers want to see that you can. Do that. Yeah. And that, that's, I would say, one of the communication skills that I have actively cultivated because I've seen both how people respond to it and how people respond to you doing it. Right. So I saw it in you. And I was like, well, I like that. I want to cultivate that ability. But then I saw how people responded to it. And it's like, that just. Well, and the other thing too is it makes things stick. Like you explain it in a way they can understand. Mm-hmm. You know, with enough, with the right metaphor and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, you know, that's why you have things like biblical parables is because it gets the idea across and it stays. And that that's kind of the point of it. Yeah. Well, that, that same BA after we talked, I think it was around 10, 10 30 this morning. And then I got back from lunch. I had a, a long conversation on Slack from her where she had just like explained back to me what I had explained to her because she thought about it and it clicked. Yeah. The way I explained it, she's like, oh, I get it. And this is what you're saying. And it's just like, long message from her. I wrote, yes, that's it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes a difference. And yeah. you know, employers have actually got a pretty good way to test this kind of stuff. Like, they'll ask you how you would explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that's a pretty good interview question. Although you don't see that as much as you should, you know, in interviews. If you know, At least I have not. Um, probably, I would say a good 80 to 90% of the interviews I've ever had. That's never come up. Huh. And it should. It absolutely that's, should be That's there. interesting because, you know, the people that I've noticed that are worse at this than the worst at this are the senior developers. Oh, yeah. Like, I talk to other junior developers and I see the skill in them. Like, even the more introverted, shyer junior developers have the skill as opposed to the outgoing senior developers that don't. Right. I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I think it may have been, may have been the tail end of that 90s hacker mm-hmm. culture thing. Yeah. And, you know, it was the thing of, oh, I have knowledge and you don't. So I have power and you don't. Yeah. And it was that attitude and that 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 has started to fade away, thankfully. Well, it doesn't quite work that well when you've got Google. Right. <laughs> Google has knowledge and you don't. Now, what does that make you? <laughs> Less than Google. You know, another interview question that you might come across is, tell me about a time where you've had trouble working with another person and how did you communicate that with them? Right. 
So next is work ethic. That is your attitude towards getting the job done and putting in the effort needed to get there. When you're in the interview, you want to weave into your conversation the importance of the company's mission and sort of their vision, like where they're looking to go. You want to know that and bring that into the conversation. Right. You want to do what, uh, if you've watched Game of Thrones, you want to do what Tyrion does. He always figures out what the other party wants and then figures out how to align that with what he wants. That's what you're doing here. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the easiest way to have power is you don't have it. You just align yourself with people that do. And the big thing there is you know, focus on the value that you can provide to the company. In other words, how can I meet the goal that this company has with my effort um, instead of focusing on what you want out of the situation? You're, you'll get to be able to focus on what you want, but you have to get them hooked first. That way, you know, that way things can move forward. The other thing with work ethic is that if you show good work ethic, you're going to be showing how you handle moral and ethical situations at work. Um, they want to, the company wants to know that you're going to act ethically in the company's interests um, and that you're going to show some degree of loyalty. You know, they don't want to hire somebody that is going to leave after six months after they've you know, been trained for five and after they've invested a bunch of time in you and you're, you're just going to bail. You know, they want to see that sense of ethics and that um, attention to detail and, and that sort of thing in the interview. Otherwise, you're not going to get in the door to, to do that. And, and another thing they're going to look at, too, is that you're going to be loyal to the company if someone is doing something unethical. Right. At least a good company, an ethical company with ethical leadership will want you to report unethical activity. Right. And you don't necessarily have to show that you're going to report it like that's kind of probably implied by your other behavior. Like you don't want to come out in the interview and go, well, I would totally report unethical behavior to anybody. Okay. You're like, don't do that. That's just bad. Especially don't do it with that voice. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to intonation there for communication. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Cause you know, they're going to hand you a, you know, a Kleenex and go, Hey, uh, fix that. Uh, But you know, your past performance is a big indicator of what you'll do in the future. If they can see that, hey, you've stuck around and you can um, explain that you've stuck around and you've worked through difficult things with other companies, that's something that they're going to want to see because they know eventually they're going to have some kind of difficulty and they want to see somebody that has the work ethic to, to drive on through. Oh, yeah. You're going to have times at your job where you get frustrated about things. Oh, It happens to all of us. It's happened to me where I work and I love my job. I don't want to leave, but there have been times where I'm like, and if <laughs> yeah. I didn't love this job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've had a few of those and I, I mean, I really enjoy my job. Um, and I've, I've also seen other people that did not, did not have the work ethic to pull through and, and start going, okay, I, I got to fix this and get, get back on track. Mm-hmm. And they just tank and you, know, you end up with somebody for you know six, eight months that has checked out and they should have left before well a good work ethic will go i really i like this job i'm loyal to it i don't like this aspect of it so i'm going to work towards fixing that and i I think there's a little bit of a difference between the two of us because i'm a bit more direct about that yeah you're you're more i'm going to work on it and, and until it gets to a point and then i'm direct i'm more immediately all right let's go deal with this and hey i don't like this you push i pull yeah. Because um, you'll say, I don't like this. And I'll say, I like this other thing better. Yeah. Like you, you'll, <laughs> I, and I'll, I'll be like, I don't like this. Let's try something else. Right. Here's an idea. You're like, I've got this idea. Let's go this way instead. Right. It, it's the, it's, we're doing the same thing. We're going about it different based on our personalities. So you'll get interview questions that try to expose this as well. So they'll ask, how would you respond if your supervisor asked you to do something illegal or unethical? Um, I have like the best answer in the world for this because I actually had an extremely unethical employer and I was terminated for insubordination. <laughs> so it's real easy. I can go, yeah, I'm not, you know, I know what the, I know how many axles are on that bus I'm going under. No. Um, but if, you know, if you don't have that, you have to think about, you probably should think about that before you go in. I mean, really, you should have thought about that before you're confronted with that question and especially before you're confronted with a situation. Another thing they'll they'll do is they'll say, okay, how do you balance a drive to succeed with the goals of the company, right? They want to make sure you're not going to do resume-driven development, but you want to make sure you're not going to be um, still developing uh, FoxPro applications and you know 
2020. Yeah. How does that work? You know, how are you going to balance those two things? And, you know, that's, that's a very good question for trying to get that out of somebody. And this is also a way that they can tell kind of your personal drive too. You know, this, this is, they're looking not only at what you're going to bring to the company now, but what you've got in the future. Are you the type of person that is going to go home and learn on your own? Right. And continue to grow or bring new things in and go, hey, I want to try this because it's the future. It's where technology is going to be. Or are you the type of person that has to be drug along into newer things? Right. And, you know, they do want to see that you care enough about your career that you're actually going to practice and learn on your own and not have the expectation that your employer is going to do it for you. No. Because that, that tends to not be isolated just to your career. Like if you're, you know, the kind of dark matter developer that just sits there and, and just does the thing and doesn't try to push themselves, you know, those kind of people tend to create a lot of organizational problems around them in addition yeah. to just. That's very true. And you're nodding your head a lot. <laughs> yeah. Anyone that's been in the industry for a few years can think of at least one person. Yeah. There will be a face that. that will pop in your head. Yeah. At least one. Next is time management, and this is different but related to work ethic. Because time management has to do with how you manage your time. You can have a really strong work ethic and not get very much done because you have poor time management. Right. Like this was you me. You can't prioritize. Yeah. This was I, you in college. Yeah. See, so this was me in college. I had a very strong work ethic. And, you know, when I buckled down and got to it, yeah. you know, I wrote. A 1500 word essay in a night. Right. You know? And when you didn't, squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that. <laughs> and this is, this is one of the ones like communication, work ethic. Um, some of the others I didn't have a big problem with. This is one that I have truly had to develop. Yeah. Really focus on. Uh, and it's also interesting because when I was writing this, I was on vacation and, uh, Sitting across the table from me was my mom. And so I said to her, I was like, hey, if as a nurse, if you're hiring a new nurse, what is one soft skill that you want them to have coming in the door? Her response, and I'm going to quote her exactly, is my main thing is to always be on time. You know, guys, there's a lot of reasons to be late, but you can plan for most of them. Yeah. Tardiness occasionally is excusable. Right. But I mean, you and I both know people that, you know, if, if they have to go somewhere and it's 30 minutes away, they will leave 28 minutes before they're supposed to be there. And then they'll go and rush our traffic. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they, they're never on time. Like, you know, you know, it's bad when people start saying, you know, they start telling you that the thing starts like an hour before it actually does, just so that you'll actually be somewhat close to on time instead of an hour and a half late. Of course, you used to be like this. Oh, yeah. yeah I saw the grin. You yeah. know, but, uh, <laughs> and then you know, once you started being on time, it totally messed me up. But that's another story altogether. Well, that, that, you've mentioned this a couple of times. The thing is, it, it's messed me up now, too, because you told me be here at 530. Yeah. Expecting me to get here by around 6 because I'd hit traffic or something would come up. Or, and I always yeah. called and told you I was running late. Yeah. But it was, it was more times than not that I was running late. And I still have it in my head that I need to be here at 5.30. Right. And so, when you tell me, oh, yeah, I'm leaving work at 5.15, I'm like, I just left the house. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be there in 15 minutes. I'll be there before yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, you know, and it, it's taken me a while to get into my head, hey, I'm going to be on time. And on time is right. when I was showing up before, not what right. you told me. Well, it's, it's a respect thing. Yeah. Too, um, you know, because if you're consistently late, I mean, it's one thing between friends, um, but in a job situation or where other people are waiting on you for something and they're losing out by the time that's that's going by, if you're late, you know, that could potentially cost the company money. Like you could miss a flight to go out to see a client or you could get stuck in traffic and something goes wrong or you just look bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing if it happens rarely or on a, on occasion. It's when it is consistent right. that it shows this lack of respect. You know, like time management is also how you organize your day with the tasks and responsibilities you have to accomplish. Yeah. And you need to prioritize things and figure out what is most important to get done in a particular day and get that done first. Yeah. 
create a checklist with the higher priority tasks at the top, but also be flexible as priorities can change. Yeah. And the other thing too, is sometimes you learn more about the tasks and you Mm -hmm. get burned by that. Um, I had, I had an incident not too long ago where there were two tasks and one was low priority and one was high priority. And I started on the high priority task and I figured out, Hey, it's being blocked by this lower level task. Mm -hmm. That's not a big deal. Well, if, you know, if the lower level, lower importance task is blocking a higher importance task, guess what? It's now a high importance task. Exactly. It inherits Mm -hmm. how you handle um, pressure and deadlines. So can you, can you demonstrate, you know, part of what demonstrates that is show up to the interview on time and prepared, um, including, you know, actually Mm -hmm. being organized. The other thing is, is can you, can you work through stress? In other words, when you're in a stressful situation, does it consume you and make it where you can't get anything done or do you, does it make you bear down harder? Yeah. You need to be able to consistently think clearly and compartmentalize the stress, right. put that aside and go, I need to focus on the task. Right. Which was, was hard for me today. I was not as productive as I could have been. Um, I was just really stressed out for some reason. I, I think part of it was I was, you know, there were, there was no management in the building and, previous instances have led me to believe that when there is no management in the building, a lot of people come to me for stuff, just random because, Oh, you've run a business before. So, and there isn't anybody else here. So help me with my thing. And so I was, I was like all wound up and I was not, I was not as effective as I could. That explains some of our, our conversations today, or I should say lack of conversation. Usually on Mondays, yeah, you're your most talkative on uh, Google Hangouts. Yeah. And today I was just not, I couldn't, I just could not lock in and focus. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, that's not what stress does to me. Most of the time I get, you know, if I get stressed, I get a little bit ticked off and then I'm extremely effective when I'm at that point. You know, that's, that's how I've learned to deal with it. Um, but you have to be able to compartmentalize that in, in some way and well, I will be honest, get through it. I had, I used to have a lot of trouble compartmentalizing, especially if it was, if it was work related stress or Anything but relationship-related stress, I could put it aside and be like, whatever. Yeah. But And then I went through the divorce where it was pretty much like dialed up to a thousand Yeah, on the relationship stress. And I had to keep working. I had to keep going because yeah, it, uh, it, was, it was there, but the, nothing could be done about it. Right. Some interview questions that you're going to get asked are, how do you prioritize the items in your workflow? Yeah, and one good answer to this is if somebody whose job title starts with C <laughs> is screaming, <laughs> that's priority. <laughs> and you know, they'll also ask you, you know, how how well do you delegate work to other people? You know, have you been in the situation where you've had to do that? I'm dealing with that at work now. Um, we've got a junior developer, and I'm trying to throw stuff over the wall to him. So I tried to throw a bunch of like CSS changes over to him, and upper management was like, "No, no, no, don't do that right now. You got a deadline." I'm like it's just CSS, <laughs> you know, um, and that's part of the reason I've been stressed too. Is it's like I could throw a lot of this stuff at him; he's pretty sharp, and then I wouldn't have to deal with CSS, and we're both happy, <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, but you know, being able to show that okay, I can delegate work to other people. In other words, I'm not going to try to take it all on myself and work an 80 hour week when I'm under too much pressure, and then burn out and blow up. Mm-hmm. And they also like to see how you would handle it if you're assigned multiple high priority tasks. Cause this, this can happen a lot, especially if you have multiple bosses, like if you're in one of those hybrid jobs where you do half of one thing and half of another, cause I've been in a few of those as well. And then a few of them that were unofficially that it's like, Oh yeah, you're a developer, but you also, you know, you're also it sport. Or if you know, you're on multiple projects. Yeah. Like I'm on three projects right now that ha- all have very similar deadlines. Yeah. And you, you almost have to, you have to show that you can, how you think about prioritization and stuff like that. Like you have to go, okay, well, I'm on two projects. One of them is just me coding something. And and one of them is writing a spec so somebody else can code. And if I don't get that spec done, they're going to be dead in the water and we're both going to be ineffective. So I need to let this one slip a little bit so that I can get that one done and then jump over. Mm-hmm. And they, they want to see that you have that kind of thought process rather than it landing on them. Oh yeah. And it was like today with, uh, with that email thing, I was asked about it and I said, Hey, there have been higher priority tasks that needed to get done, like functionality tasks that needed to get done. So correcting spacing in an email was low priority compared to this functionality isn't working. Right. And nobody complained about that. 
Nobody said, oh, you should do this instead. It was, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then today, when I got everything else working, they said, hey, do you have time to work on this now? I'm like, yeah, I do, actually. It didn't take me more than five minutes to fix it, but it was just the other stuff was much higher priority, and I had to get that done. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is how you expressed that that yeah. stuff was higher priority. You didn't go, oh, this is stupid. This can wait. You just said, hey, look, here's the other things I got to do, which brings us to our next point, which is your attitude matters. Yes, exactly. A positive attitude in your interview can set you apart from all other interviewees. It shows that you want to be there and will not only be happy in your job, but you won't bring the team down. Yeah. As I, I mean, I hate being in a work situation with somebody that's always negative, that has like the negative clicks and that kind of stuff going on, because uh, there's usually two or three of them. And you, you don't want to hire somebody like that. And the other thing, too, is is you need to have a general excitement about the field you're in. I mean, we're doing stuff right now that is just absolutely amazing. Like, our grandfathers could never have conceived of the world we live in right now, what we're capable of doing. And, and you need to bring that into your job. You don't need to go, oh, well, it's boring and Microsoft sucks and blah, 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 you know, and, <laughs> you know, even even if they do, it's just, it, it, it doesn't help anything. So, come in with a, you know, decent attitude. Also, excitement about the field, be it you know, programming in general or the language or framework that you use shows that you're going to be willing to continue to learn and grow within that. When, uh, when I interviewed, our former manager came out of the interview excited because of my enthusiasm and yeah. attitude. Well, it's contagious. Yeah. I mean, people want to be around people that are happy, you know, in general, unless they're just you know, really down in the dumps and they're the kind of people you don't want to work for. Like that, that's something you want. Mm -hmm. um, and your attitude doesn't only affect your work. It, I mean, it influences people like your boss. Uh, that's something he wants to see as well, too. And you can um, improve your coworkers' morale. Right. Or at least it doesn't make it worse. Yeah. And it, it motivates others to work harder. Yeah. Employers, when they're interviewing you, they want to know that you'll maintain a positive attitude even during death marches and yeah. tight deadlines and rough times. You know, you need to be able to set aside the stress and get the work done. We, we talked about this, you know, just a little bit ago with time management, but you, you need to be able to put that aside and still ha maintain that attitude. You know, also, if you're moving up into leadership, you're interviewing for a lead or management position. Or, you, or you're going into a position where you're going to be crammed into said yeah. management position. You don't know it yet. That's true. <laughs> well, if you don't know it yet, then you can't. Right. For it. But if, you've, if, you're interviewing, if you're interviewing for a lead or management position, you want to demonstrate how you motivate others, even right. when you're stressed. Right. So think of some times and be prepared with stories going into the interview of how have I been motivating to others. And, you know, and, and this can even be important, like I was mentioning, even if you're not necessarily going into a leadership position, because you might want to be in one someday. You might want to be just a senior developer that the junior devs are looking up to and working with. Mm -hmm. And don't close that door with a bad attitude. Exactly. Some interview questions that you might come across are give examples of how you have motivated a team member. And this is just this is going to be something from your personal Preferably not with threats and insults, you know. <laughs> you know true. Even though for some people that works a little better than it should. Uh, yeah. And how do you maintain a positive attitude when you're stressed on the job? Right. And that also shouldn't include copious amounts of alcohol. Yeah. That's, that, they don't like to hear that in an interview, it turns out. <laughs> Unless you're interviewing as a bartender, then maybe. Yeah. But there's probably some, there's, there's some development shops in town here that I think that might be a case too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just well. judging by things I've seen. So finally, we've reached confidence. And confidence in yourself shows that you trust your own ability and your own judgment. This is something a manager looks for in someone who's going to take a lead or mentoring role. A little bit of confidence can go a long way. Yeah, confidence is more like salt <laughs> than it is like, I don't know, garlic. Because you can put a ton of garlic in something and probably still be okay, but you put more than just a little bit of salt, you know, it's going to ruin the taste. There are people who 
completely disagree with you on and that. And they're wrong. And it's fine. And I'm confident <laughs> in my assessment of that of that scenario. So there we go. Um and the the way you dress and present yourself is um indicative of your confidence. Like if you if you go in looking like a slouch, you know, people are not going to take you seriously and you're going to carry that vibe. It's it's weird just how much a change in the way you dress yourself will change the way you think. And we discussed this with John Sanmez. I forget if that was on the episode or when we talked after. Well, one um, thing that a good friend of ours says, and we really need to have Guy on the show at some point. Yeah. Um, and he said this for a long time, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. Right. And, you know, my wife and I actually discussed this um, over the weekend because I was like, you know, I need to kind of up my wardrobe game is, you know, I've, I want to look like what I'm trying to be, mm-hmm. not look like the kind of a bum developer. You know, one of the, one of the better developers I know dresses like an absolute slob, and people never take him seriously as a result of that. Just watching that, you go, yeah, I probably ought up my game. If if I'm seeing that with him, I'm probably not seeing it with me, and and yeah. bounce that up. And it, it's also your posture. You know, like keep your back straight. Don't. Don't do the, you know, the messed up developer posture, like the people that are always sitting over their keyboard, you know, like straighten your back out, you know, get, get proper posture. It, it doesn't feel like it makes it a lot of difference, but it really, really does. Uh, your, your body language is one of the first things that employers notice about you when they're interviewing you. Yeah. And, you know, the way you present yourself, you really want to present yourself as someone that can do the job above you. And, and the other thing, too, with the confidence is employers also know that if you are very smart and you don't come in with confidence, people aren't going to listen to you and they're going to end up with whatever the rest of the team has. And they may be hiring you because they don't like that. Well, yeah, exactly. You want to demonstrate that you have confidence through the decisions you make and your decisiveness. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things I hate is people that will not make a decision. They don't want to get blamed for being wrong. And so they'll defer every decision to somebody else. And if I catch that going into, you know, in an interview, I will not hire that person. Well, yeah. Straight up. Because I can't deal with that. You you want someone that has the ability to put things in perspective. They're able to assess the information, weigh the options, and then anticipate and accept the consequences. Right. They need to be able to go, all right, here's all the information that I can gather. Here are my options. I'm going to choose to go with this one. Yeah. And I'm going to accept whatever consequences come from that. Right. And I've had this conversation with my boss a couple times lately. I advised him in a certain way and it's like, hey, that's had consequences. And I'm having to deal with those. And he's like, well, you don't you don't have to push that hard on it. It's like, yeah, I do. You you can't take advice from me if you know that I'm going to give you advice with the assumption that I'm not going to eat the consequences of the fact that I gave you that advice. It's adulting. It really is. <laughs> no. I mean, this, 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 is this is adulting, but it, it's something that does need to be said because so few people actually do it. Yeah. They don't want to accept the consequences, so they don't make decisions. You know, confidence isn't something that comes natural to everyone. Right. So if you do not have this naturally, you can practice acting in a confident manner. And this goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning, which is do your fake it in the practice part so that when you get to the actual interview or the actual job, it's become ingrained in you. You, know, you, you fake acting confident when you're practicing so that when you actually get out there, you are confident. Right. Well, and a lot of times when you fake it, you get the positive results of the confidence. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you start, you wake up one day and you are confident. Yeah. It's, it's weird how it's, it's backward of how you think it should work. Exactly. And first off, rehearse speaking with a confident tone. I can say this from experience watching my dad on Sundays practicing his sermon because I would go, go into the church with him a couple hours before anybody got there and he would practice. And he would be just over the top in his practice. Yeah. Because when he got in front of everybody. He'll tone it down. He he would tone it down naturally. And it came out really well and really enthusiastic and really confident in what he was saying. But his practice was way over the top. Yeah. Compared to that. And the other thing, too, is is, um, direct eye contact when you're talking to a stranger or you're talking to a, a group of people. And you and I have gotten pretty good at this, I think. Most of the time, you know, you, if you're talking to a group of people, you find somebody, you know, one or two people and you kind of bounce between them. Mm-hmm. And 
then you come off as confident. Oh, I got to tell you, my boss, like our executive director, she will talk to a group of 30 or 40 people and you think she's talking just to you. Yeah. Like there have been times where she was talking about something and I went up to her afterwards and I'm like, I didn't realize I was doing that. She's like, oh, that wasn't to you. Yeah. Those to other people in the audience. I'm like, I thought you were talking directly at me. Yeah. <laughs> but she has a way of looking at the audience to where you make eye contact and you think she's talking right to you. I'm sure that's something that she built up with practice. Oh, yeah. Well, she's had to. Yeah. And finally, some interview questions on here include, tell me about a time you took the lead when your team was in a difficult position. How do you respond to your ideas being questioned by team members or being questioned by management? And hopefully not defensively. Yeah. Or if you do respond defensively, because I do, you tell them that. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've actually had interviewers tell me they were amazed and appreciative of my honesty. Right. I'm like, oh, I get, I, I can get defensive. I know that about myself. And I usually will react and then stop myself, think about it, calm down, and then bring up my, you know, my issue with what they're saying. Yeah. And you can embrace that as yeah. well and, and be like, I do act defensively. However, I make sure that I'm prepared yeah. to do so. And yeah, that, that makes a, that makes a heck of a difference too. It really does. And that shows confidence. Yeah. So those are kind of our core or basic skills that we've talked about. Next, we're going to briefly discuss some complex skills, which are combinations of these core skills that we've already mentioned. And those are adaptability, teamwork, responsibility, motivation, conflict resolution, and problem solving. The first one is adaptability. And this is something that's more important for senior developers, or at yes. least that's what they're looking for. Yeah, because when you're a junior developer, they give you something to do most of the time. And then, you know, you're kind of guided through it and you're protected a little bit. Whereas when you're a senior developer, the crap lands on your plate. It's just the way it is. Like, well, you just can't dodge it anymore. That too. And they, they want to know that as a senior developer, you're going to have the ability to grow and stretch your more technical skills. Yeah, they they want to know that you're not somebody with 12 years of ex you know they they want to make sure that you have 12 years of experience, not 12 repetitions of the same one year of experience. Yes. That that's it exactly. You know, they they want to see that you can adapt to changes in the language framework or current trends of programming. Right. Next is teamwork. And basically, you need to be able to play well with others. This is a combination of almost all of the, the core or basic skills that we've talked about. And it's your ability to work with others to meet a common goal. Right. And to be able to motivate others towards that goal as, mm -hmm. as part of that, you know, in many cases. Um, and this, this goes really well along with the whole responsibility thing, because that's the other side of it is you, your, your team has to be aware that you're going to take responsibility for your actions and for what you've done and for the tasks that you've been assigned. Yeah, you need to have a level of humility and willingness to learn and grow and take responsibility for the mistakes that you make and the successes that you have. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing I struggle with a lot is taking responsibility for success mm -hmm. more than anything. I mean, you've had that conversation with me. I think you just about you've gotten pretty close to going upside my head a couple of times on that. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know, that, that's something I struggle with. Also showing motivation, like being able to work without constant supervision. It's it's part of the work ethic thing, but it's it's also just, hey, you're not a maintenance point for your manager because mm -hmm. I hate micromanaging people. I don't want to walk around and go, okay, are they working? And you know, where I work, it's the same thing. Upper management is is very you know, they're very hands off. They give us a list, you do your thing, and if we're having to make rules for you, you know, we're making rules for the company because of the way you're acting, that's not real good. That, that's a that's a real bad sign. Yeah, this demonstrates reliability, commitment. And efficiency. Yeah. Really. You also want to be able to resolve conflicts. This is the ability to persuade and negotiate. It involves building rapport with others and being able to see things from their perspective. You know, even if you disagree with them, have a conversation with them about it. Right. Well, and the other thing, too, is half the time you find that they're using words that are loaded for you and you're having a conflict and you agree. <laughs> That That's, seems to be a pretty common thread. I would say it's probably like seventy-five mad. to ninety yeah. percent of the time that is the case. Yeah, I've noticed. 
And, and this goes right along with the problem solving aspect, right? Like you have to be able to go, okay, here's the issue. How am I going to approach this? How, what is my critical thinking that drives me towards this? You know, am I analytical? Can I work on it and, 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 and get to where I need to go? And, and there's a difference between critical thinking and being critical. Exactly. You know, it, it's not this whole thing of I'm just going to be negative and say, okay, this is a problem. Full stop. It's okay. Here's how we can get at this problem and get it out of our way. Being able to approach problems with a level head will allow you to efficiently find the solutions that you need. The last thing we're going to talk about are a few tips and tricks for improving your soft skills. And these are kind of general tips because we've talked about the more specific ones with each of the core skills. To start off, you really need to prepare for your interview. Look up the company, learn what it is that they value, what their mission is. You know, if it's possible, look up your interviewers on social media. I know we've mentioned this many times before, but you may have a common interest, something yeah. that you can bring up. Like when I interviewed for my current job, I was able to talk to my manager about podcasting because it was something he was interested in. You talked to one of the owners about biochem, biochemistry. Yeah. Which I was not prepared for, by the way, <laughs> in any <laughs> shape or form whatsoever. Oh. I just winged it. Well, you made it. Yeah, I did. Um, oh. But it, it's nice to have these things, have, have these pieces of information in your back pocket because it makes all the other stuff easier because you can kind of flow with it. If you don't know, you're, you're going to be sitting there wondering if you're about to step in something. Exactly. Also, review some common interview questions, both technical and non-technical. And then just some common sense things. Plan your route to the interview. Yeah. Get a good night's sleep beforehand and arrive early. Always plan to arrive early because if you hit more traffic than expected yeah. and you have a flat tire or you run out of gas or something happens, you'll still be on time. Right. Plus, it shows a little bit of enthusiasm anyway. It really does. Yeah. Next, practice interviewing to increase your skills. I know we talked to to John Sanmez about this. I think we've mentioned him several times in this episode. Yeah. Well, Soft Skills is his book. It really is. Yeah. So, I mean, like literally. <laughs> you know? And you, by the way, y'all need to go buy that if you don't have it yet. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't mention that on here, but definitely do that because that is something I'll include that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, practice your interviewing, it, it helps increase your skills. Highly effective athletes at the top of their career practice what they do every day. Yeah. Get comfortable answering interview style questions. You can find them through a simple Google search. Just start with people you trust, you know, people you know, and then work out to people you kind of know. And then do like John Sonmez suggested, go to the mall and just ask random people to ask you interview questions. Yeah. Well, that'll definitely get you over the interview jitters. Yeah. Cause that is like, that sounds like the most awkward, horrible thing in the world. I mean, I did, I, you know, when I got to the point where I was less shy, I did a lot of that, not with interviewing though, just going up and just randomly talking to people. And now it's a habit. Um, I, I do it naturally because it's who I am. Yeah. Also, if you are on the kind of more shy, introverted side, Remember that interviews are structured interactions. You know, there is a structure to the interview. There are things that you can expect to happen there, and there are things that you can expect not to happen there. Even if you're not comfortable around new people, or maybe you're shy, you, you can take solace in a known structure. Understand, though, you're going to do most of the talking. The interviewer will ask you questions, expecting you to expound upon them. You know, If you're not comfortable in an area... Give a short answer in that area and redirect to an area you are comfortable. If they ask you a question on something you're comfortable with, feel free to expound all you want. Hit as many soft skills as you can. Because they're going to be looking for that in future employees. Yeah. Well, plus, if you're comfortable with it, you can also drop hints that you know deeper level stuff about it. Exactly. Guys, okay, soft skills, they're the skills we use to communicate with people around us. They help us to be more diplomatic, respectful, and professional even when we're presented with frustrating and difficult situations. When being evaluated for an interview or promotion, your soft skills are what the employer is going to look at to determine if you're going to be a good fit with the team. Technical skills, they're going to get you in the door for the interview, but it's your soft skills that get you past the dozens of other qualified applicants. They set you apart 
to become the ideal candidate for the job. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, we talked about confidence. And one thing a lot of people have trouble with is actually having some confidence. So I'm going to suggest something that's a little unorthodox for tech people. And that is to crack open a history book. Read about some of the stuff that your ancestors went through. You know, read about like how Neolithic tribes uh, handled the Ice Age or read about how you know, medieval uh, European peasants handled the Black Death and got through all that. You know, read about the Thirty Years' War, read about all those kind of things and realize that you come from a long, long line of people that have survived things that are way, way worse than anything that you can imagine dealing with. And you take comfort in that because that's part of you. You should really internalize that. That's, you know, I, I ran into my, one of my history professors from college a while back and he asked what I was doing. And I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a computer programmer. And he goes, you know, and I minored in history. And he said, well, I guess you didn't really use that history minor. And I'm like, I use it every day because um, I understand what history is there for. It's there to teach you, you came from another place. You know, your ancestors did a lot of very epic stuff to get you here. And you should internalize that fact. It'll help you hold your back straighter. Um, so I just, I just want to point out the importance of knowing where you came from. Like realize that, you know, you're just a continuation of a long, long series of successes that goes back into the dawn of history. So keep that in your back pocket and think about that. And when you internalize that fact, your confidence will be a lot better. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with the news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.